Thank you everybody for coming out and joining us tonight. We are in our third week of our summer series and the theme of our summer series is sanctifying everyday life. Today, our topic is specifically sanctifying your body. Our presenter is Sam Martinez and we're very excited to be hearing from him. Just a little bit about Sam. Sam is affectionately known as Saminarian by the school kids at St. Pius because he is a seminarian for the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend. He is concluding his first year right now. Before, leaning, sorry, before learning to be led by the Holy Spirit and discerning the priesthood, he was discerning the optimal dietary habits for cancer patients as a registered dietitian for the Parkview Cancer Institute in Fort Wayne. As a graduate of Purdue University, dietetic intern of Murray State University, and a former cooking instructor in Baker, he desires nothing but to nourish all he meets with compassion. No fads, just faith. Please join me in welcoming Salmonarians. <laughs> well, howdy. <laughs> Can everybody hear me okay? Wonderful. All right, good, a few thumbs up. That's good to see. So apparently uh, everyone here is Catholic because no one's sitting in front. <laughs> so we're just gonna fix that real quick. Oh, well, welcome. I'm really happy to see you. <laughs> so luckily, everything we talk about today will still be very pertinent, so no worries there. But as Emma said so, uh, so well, yes, my name is Sam Martinez. Um, I'm one of the newer seminarians for our diocese. Um, as we mentioned, I really don't have much of any philosophical or theological training at this point. Um, I seriously just entered the seminary this past year. Uh, and with doing that, I started off at a pastoral year at St. Pius X, right here in Granger, just down the road. Um, and all of that means is really coming out of the working world and having not worked uh, necessarily in a church before at all. Um, the bishop really wanted to give me that opportunity to do that. So we did. Um, I've been living with Monsignor Bill Schooler and Father Nathan Maskell over there, learning from both of them, helping work in our school, um, helping with youth ministry. I see Brittany and I see our young adult people like Megan Sorg as well here. So thank you guys for being present and supporting. <laughs> so useful. Um, but really, with not having too much of this uh, theological training prior to doing this, you know, I felt very underqualified when you guys asked me to come and give this talk. You're like, hey, like, let's do theology on tap. And I'm like, all right, so I know the tap part, but the theology part, I'm not sure we can make this happen right now. Um, but luckily, Sean and Emma said that I was going to talk more about nutrition than anything. So I'm really happy that you guys are at least interested in nutrition as well. Um, it always seems that whenever you go up to talk to people and you start talking about food, everyone gets like really, really into it. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. All of us, I'm assuming, just love food. You're probably experts at this point from doing it for the past like 20, 30 plus years and so on and so forth. So kudos to you guys. Um, but with that being said, I don't mean to be redundant, but I was kind of hoping we could pray like one more time before we get going. That, I don't know why I have to ask to pray. I don't think anyone's gonna say no to that. So bear with me one more time. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, guide us this evening. Help us to hear your wisdom in our hearts. Be our advocate so that way we can humbly and confidently discuss you and discuss the love of our Holy Father. Help us to be open-minded 
to everything that we do talk about, as well as, as well as docile to all of it too. So with that being said, let's pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so with all that being said, um, the last thing I can say introduction-wise is that really in the next two weeks, uh, all of us seminarians will be moving off to school again. So of course, having all of this wonderful nutrition background and information right now, uh, yeah, seriously, August 9th, we moved to Emmitsburg, Maryland to start school and start studying philosophy and all of that. So keep all of us in your prayers as we do this. Um, but as we mentioned, before entering the seminary, I was working in Fort Wayne, Indiana at the Parkview Cancer Institute. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, or at least Parkview Regional Medical Center. That's on the north side of Fort Wayne. Um, but really, I was there working as a registered dietitian. I was helping cancer patients work through their treatments. Um, so if anyone was doing something like chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, or something to help combat their disease, um, I was the one that really helped them work through all of their symptoms. Um, eat food that would help them tolerate their treatments more and make sure they didn't become malnourished and could actually heal from those treatments to continue. But just because it's kind of pertinent to the topic of this, this discussion, for, um, other than what I've said, is everybody familiar with the profession of registered dietitian? Has everyone heard that before, at least a little bit? I'm seeing a lot of thumbs up. Sean Driscoll knows, obviously. That's good to see. Um, <laughs> but just to, to kind of elaborate even further, with registered dietitians, um, you can really work in just about anywhere there's food. So as we mentioned, I was working as a cooking instructor at Purdue University for a little while. Um, I worked at Jewish Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, helping out with their transplant centers, um, as well as their ICU. And then also, again, back at Parkview Regional Medical Center, where I helped out at the ICU and their orthopedic floors, helping out with pre and post surgical patients. Um, so again, if you go anywhere with food, there can be a dietitian there. Um, of course, you know, it was only uh, whenever I would be out with friends or acquaintances at a brewery or something like that when people would say like, oh, so Sam, like, what do you do for a living? And I'm sitting here eating like deep fried chicken and waffles and I'm like two beers in or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but nowadays I get to say, hey, no worries, I'm going to become a priest. So like, I don't have to be healthy anymore, right? No. So Tink's probably rolling his eyes over there because he's the one that's always, you know, running, cycling, doing all these awesome things. Um, but it's... It's just funny to me to see how sometimes we think if we're not working in a medical profession or if we're not uh, living an extremely, I guess, active lifestyle, that we can kind of neglect that portion of our life. Um, keep in mind, you know, we're all created body and soul, right? So we can't take care of only one or only the other. Let's see. Um, yeah, so almost anyone and their mother oftentimes will claim to be a nutrition expert. Um, and I don't mean that like, I'm angry at those people. I'm just bitter. Um, with people like that, <laughs> you can go on any type of primetime news. You can read any magazine when you're in the, the grocery store line getting ready to check out. And you always see stuff about, oh, lose 30 pounds in two days, or eat hamburgers for a month straight and still lose weight, or just something that really makes zero sense at all. Sadly, we still see a lot of headlines that actually do make sense. Uh, we see a lot of them in newspapers, on online periodicals, or even in research studies that seem trustworthy, uh, but are really, really misguided. Um, keep in mind that oftentimes when we see these articles, you know, you see that famous headline of, oh, XYZ magazine says that, um, what is a good one? Oh, the, the common phrase is always, 
according to one research study, or according to a recent study, or according to a scientist, or according to them, or all these really vague terms, right? These types of things are often going to be pretty dubious and not trustworthy, but the majority of us don't have the whereabouts to be able to tell that in the first place. Um, so with today, I really want to talk to you all about this. I want to talk to you about nutrition in the media um, and help you understand how you can better identify good evidence-based recommendations so you can take care of your body as well as the soul. Let's see here. Oh, so how, uh, how about coconut oil? How does everybody feel about that one? I'm just going to dive right in with this. We're not making much of a transition here, so, so buckle up. But my, one of my favorites is oftentimes with these articles, you always see the you know, XYZ magazine says in a recent study that you know, coconut oil is the new fountain of youth or miocure or whatever. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have probably heard this in the past like three or four years. This is a really common one, but what years and numerous research articles would say is that actually coconut oil is terrible for you. So let's go back to being at Parkview Regional Medical Center. When I was working in the cardiac rehab clinic there as well, like we just, we went everywhere. We had to fill in for people. So regardless, working in that area, I would oftentimes see patients who just got done having bypasses or open heart surgery or just had ridiculously high cholesterol. And I went in and talked to this patient about having a low sodium diet and a low fat diet, two things that are just kind of no brainers when we think about taking care of our heart. And I'm talking to her and I'm asking, you know, the general, like, it's good to see you. What do you normally eat? What does your daily habits look like? Try and identify a problem and then help them understand why it's an issue before helping them fix it. This gal was vegetarian. So I'm kind of like, all right, not sure what's going on. Her cholesterol levels like, five, I can't remember. I think it was like 700 when really your total cholesterol is not supposed to be any higher than 200. Um, so I'm kind of like, whatever this vegetarian person's doing, like, something's not right here. <laughs> but talking to her further and further, everything was fine. Plenty of fruits and vegetables, exercises at least like, what, five times a week, um, was eating a lot of plant-based proteins, things like beans, nuts, seeds. Um, so I couldn't, like, identify anything, but it was just in the back of my mind thinking about this coconut oil situation. So I finally asked, hey, are you taking any types of, any supplements, any herbal remedies, anything like that on the side? And she finally mentions, yeah, I'm taking like a multivitamin, I'm taking, you know, whatever turmeric, stuff like that. And I take a couple tablespoons of coconut oil every day, uh, just like out of a spoon, pretty much. <laughs> so with that being said, I was like, okay, well, I think we have our problem here. So with that, told her to stop doing the coconut oil every day. Everything else was fine. And then within the course of a month, cholesterol right back under 200. So things like this, even though you see it in the media advocated as like this miracle cure, as some wild food that is just gonna help you live 100 years, um, oftentimes there's not a whole lot of merit behind it. And that's just kind of how media is right now. A lot of this information is glamorized. Um, a lot of it is advocated for because it's popular, because it's lucrative. Uh, maybe the people behind what is being advertised, maybe they're trying to sell something at the same time. Uh, so again, I really want to help everyone here understand how to find that accurate information. Um, going back to Sean and Ella, um, Emma asking to me to do this talk, I was really happy to hear that so many people had those concerns during quarantine about just like being healthy. Like, oh, maybe I have time to go exercise now, or maybe I have time to do a holy hour every day, or maybe eat better, or things like that. But as you've all probably noticed, even in just like regular news, a lot of stuff is just blown out of proportion right now. A lot of things are just, again, very, very glamorized and very dramatized to the point that it's hard to understand what is 
the accurate information. Speaking of which, I kind of have like a vendetta against most, uh, <laughs> most like primetime TV shows. Do we have any Dr. Oz fans or like the Doctors fans or anybody that loves those like TV doctors at all? Okay, cool. So I can speak freely here then. All right. <laughs> the problem with these, um, there's this awesome research study. It was an observational study from the British Medical Journal. Uh, I think it was, came out in two, four, 2014 or something like that. But it evaluated televised medical talk shows and was trying to establish how much of the information coming from these doctors was even factual. Um, so for Dr. Oz, 46% of the information that was discussed on Dr. Oz was factual or evidence-based. That's like less than half. Well, it's literally less than half, actually. Math has never been my strong point. But <laughs> these are things that we have to watch out for. Why would a doctor on TV be advocating for more than 50% of just kind of nonsense in a way. Um, then for The Doctors, which was another popular show, that one had about 63% that was all factual. Um, so I guess that's a little bit better, right? But still not great. And I would, ever, I would always hate to just assume that these people know this information is wrong. The odds are, just like a lot of news and a lot of media, you're looking for something that's popular. You're looking for something that draws attention and then you're trying to put it out there to bring more viewers or bring more patients to you. Um, so again, you know, these are things that I don't think it's always malicious when people do it. It's just kind of a misunderstanding. So with that being said, you know, as Catholic Christians, we're all given this commendation uh, to be good stewards of all the gifts that God gives us, right? You know, when we were created, God gave us mastery of pretty much everything that's on the earth. Um, and that really does include our food as well, right? You know? With that being said, um, you know, if we were to, <laughs> I'm trying to look for really, really odd examples, so it doesn't apply to anyone. But if we were to say, you know, be a monk and throw, uh, maybe smoke like three packs of cigarettes every day, it's probably not great, okay? And vice versa, let's say you were a vegetarian, um, but you decided you want to start worshiping the devil. Again, really less than ideal. Um, we have to take care of all of the gifts God gives us, okay? Not just the spiritual, not just the physical, all of it together. Um, so again, considering that everyone here is probably striving to be saints already, probably a little bit more knowledgeable about theology and philosophy than I am, um, I'm gonna really stick to this nutrition thing. And I thought kind of the fun way to do it, since of course I could sit here and just ramble and babble at you guys for like, I don't know, another like 30 minutes or something. Um, let's not do that. I wanna make this a little bit more interactive. So I'm gonna do a game of kind of just true or false with you guys. I'm gonna talk about nutrition myths. So I'll give you a statement and then I want you to give me either a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you think it's true or false. Has everybody seen Gladiator? You understand that? Okay, so for Gladiator, this means live, this means kill. But today it's true or false. We're gonna take it easy, okay? So, is everybody ready? Okay, cool. Number one, the primary macronutrients needed in every human diet are carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Kill or live. Okay. I'm honestly seeing like maybe 75%, maybe 80. Maybe 80%. Okay, that's pretty good. All right, so the majority of people think this is true, which good for you. That's a good start. You got the first one right. That is in fact true, okay? First things first, 
Carbohydrates, fats, and proteins are all known as macronutrients. So if we kind of break down the word here, macro just meaning bigger nutrients. Um, there's also micronutrients, which again, let's look at the prefix there, means smaller. So when you look at, say, a nutrition label, for example, the macronutrients are always measured in grams. Your fat, your protein, and your carbohydrates are in grams. Whereas things like, I don't know, your vitamins and minerals are always in milligrams. Things to keep in mind. But things like carbohydrates are really just sugar in general. Um, carbohydrates kind of just the fancy word for it, but it includes everything from fruits to starchy vegetables to bread, candy, soda. Um, there's a little bit of carbohydrates in like beer or wine. Um, and then fats, on the other hand, fats are needed in a little bit smaller quantities than the carbs. Um, I should clarify that really every human being needs to get about 55 to 60 percent of their total calories every day from carbohydrates. It's really like the main fuel source for you because your body is way more efficient at using it. Whereas fat, we only need about 20 to 25 percent. Keep in mind that fat is really, really energy dense, okay? So when I was talking about those micronutrients just a second ago, those are things that are found in more nutrient dense foods, whereas fat is an energy dense food is what I, what I mean to say there. Fats, again, you can find them in meat, eggs, dairy, but you can also find them in a lot of plants as well. Remember the coconut oil thing that we talked about a second ago? That, vegetable oil, canola oil, all of those. Lastly, we have protein, okay? And those are the ones that we only need about 15 to 20% of our calorie intake every day from. Um, but they're really the building blocks for everything in your body. You need them to have skin, you need them to have muscles, to have bones, uh, to have life within you. Um, so really they're very, very important and we don't wanna shirk on those ones either. And again, talking about sources, you can get them from things like meat, eggs, dairy, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, uh, even fungus. Fungus is a really good one for protein as well. Um, I don't know, is anyone here vegetarian? If you guys don't mind me asking. I just wanna judge you. No, okay, that's fine. So one fun thing is that you can be vegetarian and still get plenty of protein in your diet. That's actually not an issue at all for most people. Um, but there's one meat substitute I always love to talk about. If you ever go down the freezer section in your grocery store, look for this orange bag called corn. Has anybody seen that before? No? Oh, you guys gotta go look for this, okay. So go eat it is what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's corn spelled with a Q, Q-O-R-N. Um, it's awesome. It tastes and looks just like real meat, but it is 100% fungus. So, now you know. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Um, another statement here, again, kind of following up on that micronutrient thing. Let's remember about the carbs, the fats, and the protein. Gluten is a carbohydrate. What are we thinking? This one's taking a little bit longer for people to answer. Now you guys feel like I'm gonna judge you, don't you? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, we're probably looking right about like 50% or less. Some people are just declining to answer. That's okay. Um, gluten itself is not a carbohydrate. Okay, this is a really fun one. Uh, does anybody ever watch Jimmy Kimmel? Is that ring any bells? Do you know when they do the questions on the street and like they go around and ask people just ridiculous stuff and it's just hilarious? One of them they always do is go ask people, what is gluten? And it was hilarious because the guy would always run up to people who were like running through the mountains or like working out on the beach and stuff and be like, hey, like, are you gluten free? And they'd be like, yeah, man, of course. I'm always gluten free, man. I don't need none of that. And then he'd say, okay, cool. What's gluten? 
And then just the answers you would hear were just mind boggling. Um, but right, gluten is not actually a carbohydrate, even though we find it in most carbohydrate containing foods. Um, so just to clarify, you know, gluten is actually a combination of proteins rather than carbohydrates. It's found in raw grains like wheat, rye, barley, um, and it contains two different proteins. One is glutenin and the other one is gliadin. But when these are ground and added with flour and then kind of, uh, what I want to say, um, worked a little bit or ned, it actually creates a insoluble chemical bond that gives it elasticity. Um, so how many people here like bread? Okay, you guys answered that one faster. Awesome. I can trust you a little bit more now. <laughs> bread gets its shape and gets those bubbles from gluten. If bread did not have gluten, it ends up being kind of like a brick. The bread itself can't hold on to the gas that the yeast is creating, and it doesn't have much of a shape to it. Um, so if anyone here has ever eaten gluten-free bread, that's oftentimes why it is a brick. Just, that's it. That's all there is to it. Um, but really, you know, gluten is something that we don't have to avoid in order to avoid carbohydrates or in order to lose weight. That's a really common misconception that if you're on a gluten-free diet, you're going to, you know, lower your blood glucose levels, you're gonna have a smaller waist size, you're gonna lose a few pounds, um, breathe better, all these types of things. Really, the only reason you should avoid gluten is if you have a diagnosis of celiac disease. Um, celiac meaning that you are clinically irritable to that protein gluten. Um, and in that case, yeah, you really should because it could cause permanent damage in your intestines. It has a ton of really, really gross symptoms. Um, but otherwise, there's really no point in avoiding it. Uh, I love going to the grocery store and reading things like ice cream or like milk uh, that says gluten-free on it, and I don't know why that's there. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but um, for anyone who is trying to avoid gluten, keep in mind, Play-Doh is not gluten-free either. Which is like the useful stuff, okay? They don't, they don't tell you this in the doctor's office. Um, but let's, let's keep going. Another one, drinking cranberry juice daily can help prevent a urinary tract infection. We're getting glamorous here. Okay, I just see a hand. Okay, there, there's a thumb. I was like, <laughs> that doesn't help. All right, what are we thinking? All right, this is pretty mixed. I didn't mean to throw you guys off so much. Um, this one is also false. Okay, so I gave a really similar talk at St. Pius back in the fall, but everyone I talked to was like over the age of 65. Um, so it's more pertinent to them, I guess. But just keep in mind, if you are caring for anyone who's in say like a nursing home or you know an elderly parent or relative, this is a really common practice that a lot of nurses in nursing homes will tell their patients. They'll mention, hey, let's get you some cranberry juice because you keep having these urinary tract infections. And the logic behind it is that this, um, this acid within the cranberry called quinic acid will help prevent bacterial growth once it's eaten. Um, but think about it, you know, anytime something goes into your stomach, what happens? Any guesses? I mean, it just, it gets digested, right? It breaks down. Everything breaks down. If you got stomach acid on your skin, it would burn it, which is not fun. Don't do that. Um, but things like this, I mean, there was a study in 2016 from the Journal of the American Medical Association that also said, you know, they studied 185 elderly women all in long-term care facilities. They gave some of them cranberry juice, some of them a cranberry pill or supplement, um, and the others just have like, you know, regular water and stuff. And there was literally no difference. The key is that you have to stay hydrated. And urinary tract infections are so common in older generations because of incontinence, incontinence and uh, oftentimes just a lack of appetite and not feeling thirsty. 
at all. That lack of fluid in the body is what actually will lead to that infection. Um, so yeah, cranberry juice is delicious, but like, you'll be okay without it, all right? So don't worry. Um, next one on the docket, following a ketogenic diet, sorry, a ketogenic diet is also known um, as the keto diet, can help slow cancer cell growth. Ooh, I saw a quick thumbs down, I like that, okay. I like confidence, that's, that's all I'm looking for. <laughs> so this one is also false, okay? Eating a ketogenic diet cannot help prevent or slow cancer cell growth. Um, now first things first, how many of you have heard of the keto diet? The majority of people, honestly, I would say probably pretty much everyone, yeah. It's been really, really popular over the past few years, especially for weight loss. Um, I've seen a lot of people who are trying to lose weight or are trying to train for like marathons and things like that, trying to follow this diet. Just in case you haven't heard of it, the ketogenic diet is kind of the opposite of what I told you about macronutrients before. Instead of getting that 55% carbs and then like, you know, 20% fat and 15% of uh, protein, flip that over. It's about 75 to 90% fat and then only about 10% protein and like 5% carbs. So for anyone here that likes bread, it's not fun. Um, it's just one of these things that it's, it's a scientifically proven treatment for certain conditions, but not for all of them. And again, due to pop culture, due to things that are kind of spread on mass media, people assume it's good for everyone or it's good for every purpose, similar to like we said with the gluten situation. Um, the ketogenic diet itself is actually really good for people with epilepsy. Um, if you work with a doctor and a registered dietitian and are getting things like your blood ketone levels tested while you're on this diet, you can actually help reduce the amount of seizures that you would experience. Um, but again, the majority of, who's, of us who are following just a very non-regulated, non-scientific form of the ketogenic diet, oftentimes never even get into the state of ketosis. Um, now these K words that I keep throwing around, just to clarify, the ketogenic diet is all about switching your metabolism from using those carbs that it needs to using only fat. Um, and it oftentimes takes about three to four days in most people for ketosis to actually start. But that means in that three to four days, you have to be really, really strictly following this diet. Um, so say for example, if you even eat like a bag of carrots or something, which again, vegetable, awesome. They have a lot of sugar in them. So you would probably ruin the whole three or four days right there and never actually get into where you need to be. Now to put this back into perspective when it comes down to cancer patients, um, All right, when it comes down to things like cancer patients, really the, um, the concept is that if you avoid eating carbohydrates, the cancer cells won't have any food to eat, okay? But like what other cells won't also have any food to eat if you stop eating carbohydrates? Like all of them. So you can't really pick and choose where these foods are going. Um, and actually, which is kind of a, a regrettable thing here, any patients of mine who, um, who had glioblastoma or a brain cancer itself, those types of cancer cells can actually utilize ketone bodies for fuel. So as soon as you perhaps got your body into ketosis, they would keep feeding while the rest of your body keeps starving. Um, so these are things that again, you know, we want to teach people what accurate nutrition and what accurate health claims are so that way they can care for themselves and care for their loved ones. Um, the amount of times that I would always get, uh, get patients or get their family members just angry 
at me, just yelling at me or telling me you're wrong, like you're heartless, like why would you tell us all these things? Because they were trying to promote something that wasn't scientifically based and I was trying to help them understand what they could do instead to actually help their family members. Um, these are things that people get really, really serious about and totally understandable. It is oftentimes our livelihood. Um, but we need to be able to correct people and, and be able to inform people about truth so that way they can better care for themselves. Um, and again, that applies to everything, whether it's your body or your soul as well. Um, so let's go one more here. And I, again, I could give you like all of these and we could be here for 20 years, but uh, I'm going to try and get through this pretty quick for you. <laughs> Next on the list, um, bone broth is not an evidence-based way to promote gut health and le uh, train leaky, sorry, treat leaky gut syndrome. I'll say that one more time because I muttered up the whole thing. Bone broth is not an evidence-based way to promote gut health and treat leaky gut syndrome. There's kind of some layers to that, so I'm sorry if it's confusing. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of mixed answers for this one. That's okay. So the statement is true because the facts are false, is what I'm trying to get at here. Um, admittedly, you know, because this one's kind of like an onion, let's just start at the basis and then like we'll work our way in. Um, first things first, it's not evidence-based at all. Um, in fact, as one could imagine, it contains lots of uh, leached collagen, lots of amino acids, vitamins, minerals, bone marrow, all that kinds of fun stuff. Um, but again, what did we say about all the food that goes in our stomach? As soon as you eat something, it gets denatured and digested, and then your body uses it the way that it wants to. Um, so again, for us to drink something like bone broth, thinking that maybe the protein that's in there, or maybe the marrow, or the collagen is gonna help our own joints or help our own muscles, um, is really not that scientifically based at all. Um, and when it comes down to things like these, uh, this leaky gut syndrome, um, I always say that with kind of like a, a negative connotation because it's bad. Um, this is one that I think is really just a proponent of pop culture again. Um, oftentimes you will see some good doctors who are simply misinformed say that this is an actual diagnosis and instruct their patients to follow an extremely, extremely limited extremely restrictive diet that lowers that patient's quality of life and overall health. Um, so if you ever have questions about these things, go to a registered dietitian because they know. Um, but again, to clarify with this uh, leaky gut syndrome, all it is is that your intestines have things called enterocytes. The cells that are in the lining of your intestine are called enterocytes. And they kind of bump up to, against each other. There's a little bit of mucus in there and some fun little things to scrape your food as it goes by. But these enterocytes actually let food in between them as well. So they let in a little bit of water, they let in a little bit of sugar, some vitamins, minerals, fat, all that fun stuff. Um, and that's how they're supposed to work. Uh, the concern with leaky gut syndrome is that people believe that all sorts of toxins and bacteria and really bad stuff for you goes in through these cell junctions and then gets in the bloodstream and wreaks all sorts of havoc in your body. Um, it always makes me laugh because, where did I write it down? This list of, uh, oh, here we go, okay. So the list of symptoms for leaky gut syndrome, syndrome are awesome. Uh, it starts with, let's see, you have gas, cramping, inflammatory bowel disease, you have fatigue, food sensitivity, joint pain, uh, you have moodiness, irritability, I go like that, sorry, irritability, sleeplessness, autism, and even eczema or psoriasis. So it's pretty much like if you've ever felt bad at all, you probably have leaky gut syndrome. Uh, which is not the case, right? Oftentimes, if you have symptoms like this, you might have something deeper underlying. You might have something like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, or maybe a celiac disease or something like that. 
Um, so again, for a doctor, even if the intention is well to give a diagnosis of leaky gut syndrome and just try to treat that itself rather than looking for an actual cause of these symptoms, kind of not doing you much of uh, any good at that. And again, treatments for this are kind of just as pseudoscientific as we would say as the diagnosis itself. The treatments usually are things like following a strict liquid diet complete with a lot of bone broth. Um, you could do things like removing gluten entirely from your diet or removing dairy entirely from your diet. Um, you know, I think we've all kind of noticed in media, on social media, on the news, all these things, you see so many extremes, right? You'll see so many opinions or so many messages that fall on either side of an extreme. What we have to understand is when you fall into that category, oftentimes we're missing something. Wouldn't you think that somewhere in the middle is something a little bit more heartwarming, maybe something a little bit more accurate, a little bit more trustworthy and actually fruitful? Um, the same thing goes for this. If we're going to eliminate an entire food group, let's say you know, we're gonna demonize milk and be like, hey, you know what? Milk is really not meant for humans. We're actually the only animals that drink out of other animals' milk. Uh, this is just all these things that, again, milk is super good for you, okay? There's calcium, vitamin D, plenty of awesome bioavailable protein. Um, again, if you have lactose intolerance, like, just ignore me. But these are things that are useful. Everybody has good food, and to say that one specific food itself is a problem, um, unless you can prove that, I wouldn't trust it. Okay, so I'm sure at this point you guys are all like, all right, Sam, tell us how you really feel. Um, but honestly, you know, when we worry about things like all these toxins or bacteria getting to our bloodstream, um, you know, if only we had an organ that filtered our blood like 24-7. Yeah, so if, if you guys didn't get it, you have a liver, all right? You have a liver and you have kidneys. So every time that food comes out of your intestines and goes in through your bloodstream, it goes to the liver. There your liver decides if you need it. It'll say, hey, do the cells need sugar right now or do I save it as fat? Or if you eat something that's very high in protein but you haven't had any carbs that day, it can break down that protein and turn it into carbs and send it to your cells. Um, so your body is super resilient. Um, fun fact for the day, if you guys didn't know, if you like cut off part of your liver, it's basically a salamander. Like, it'll just grow back. So, I mean, if you're gonna get hurt, go for that. Um, it's just, again, like you should be taking notes at this point. Um, okay, <laughs> so as I mentioned, I can kind of just keep talking about this stuff like forever, um, but I'd rather you guys talk to each other about it. So I'll kind of leave you with my final thoughts here. Um, the last statement I wanna give you is just that there is only one best diet for everyone to follow to be their healthiest. Do you guys think that's true or false? All right, everybody's following along. If you have your thumbs up, just know that you're tacky and I hate you. Um, but I do love the school of rock, so I've been like waiting to use that quote for so, so, so long. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't actually being mean, <laughs> sorry. Um, it is a good movie, right? But with that being said, I mean, this is just a really common misconception that we have in our culture. Um, everything you see on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all these different things are saying, hey, here's what like the top tier of society is doing, and you need to be like them. If you're not like this, you don't have much value, or you're never gonna achieve your goals, or the same thing goes, you know, if you're not doing like a strictly juice diet and like whatever other crazy stuff is out there that you know, you're never gonna be healthy. Keep in mind, you know, or we'll even just think of it this way, you know, do we have any JP2 fans here? Any like theology of the body, like love and responsibility kind of people? All right, majority of us, I hope. But just thinking about the dignity of the human person. You know, if we say that everyone is a cookie cutter and all you have to do is put that same icing across everyone, problem solved. All right, that's really easy. But then you're not even thinking about the person at all. 
Um, so I brought like all my props with me. I got like a new Bible recently, so I'm so happy about it. Uh, but I was really excited to read uh, with some of our daily readings that were in Jeremiah right now. Um, and as we read in the book of Jeremiah, he says in really just the first chapter, uh, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to all of the nations. Um, so this is pretty familiar. You know, when we talk about like the pro-life movement, we talk about the dignity of the human person, we often quote that. We talk about before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that's really it. You know, God knows each and every one of us so deeply and so intimately and is continuing to invite us into that relationship every day. Um, so when we talk about food or we talk about our health as well, apply that to it. You know, how could the same approach apply for everyone? There's no way. Um, and that doesn't even go just to the food realm. That can go to our spirits as in our souls as well. Um, not all of us are, you know, really good charismatic prayers or not all of us are good at meditation or contemplation or maybe not all of us even pray the rosary that often. Um, but that's okay. You know, there's different ways for us to have a good relationship with Christ. And again, he's calling us each to that. You know, we could talk about vocations. Not all of us are called to the priesthood. Not all of us are called to the married life or to religious life. Um, but he has a specific role for each and every one of us in his divine providence that he wants us to um, be able to play, a, well, yeah, to utilize, to be a part of. Um, and if we don't seek out the truth in our life, we will never be able to find that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so another fun fact. More props. <laughs> um, I was telling seminary and Brian back here that I was super pumped with what we've been reading in the Office of Readings lately. Uh, because today, we had a sermon from St. Basil the Great, um, and it talked all about gifts, okay? And Brian's big thing is like, when he's trying to evangelize people, you know, you can totally disagree with what the church teaches, but like, make sure you know what they teach, and then you're allowed to disagree. Um, and I think this is a really good way to get that across. So in here, St. Basil writes that, your reward for the right use of the things of this world will be everlasting glory, a crown of righteousness, and the kingdom of heaven. God will welcome you, the angels will praise you, all men who have existed since the world began will call you blessed. Do you care nothing for these things and spurn the hopes that lie in the future for the sake of your present enjoyment? Come distribute your wealth freely, give generously to those who are in need, earn for yourself the psalmist's praise. He gave freely to the poor, his righteousness will endure forever. So pretty clear cut, you know, he's just asking us to be really generous, right? And that comes down to our finances, but it also comes down to the way we live our lives, the way that we try and advocate for the truth with others. Um, as Catholic Christians, it's really, it's a part of who we are, and it's even a spiritual work of mercy to inform the ignorant, um, to counsel the doubtful, and even uh, admonish the sinner in a way. Of course, we have to do all of this with complete humility and magnanimity, though. We can't go about just yelling at people or being a bullhorn Christian and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, so you're going to go to hell. Or same thing. Hey, you're on a gluten-free diet, so you're dumb. Like, none of that's going to help anyone. We need to help build a relationship with people the way Christ wants to build a relationship with us, so that way we can try and help them understand the truth. So with that being said, you know, again, this applies to everything. Our eating, our faith, our exercise routines, work life, finances, whatever. Um, you know, if you don't remember anything else sciencey about this talk right now, um, at least remember these few things I'm going to talk about. Just how to find this accurate information and be able to spread that better. So we already talked about all the things about, you know, bad science, bad media, all these types of negatives. 
but I'm going to leave you with three words that I hope you guys can remember and like utilize whenever you see these things. Um, and all they are is dubious, dangerous, and distracting. It's just helpful that they're all D words so you can like remember that. Um, but is it dubious, you know? Is there any scientific basis to it at all? We talked about the, um, the coconut oil situation. It's like, hey, this sounds awesome, but when you actually look at any research, it's not. That's dubious, okay? Is it dangerous, you know? Is whatever the recommendation is or the claim or idea, is it gonna cause you any harm to your body, your mind, or your soul? Um, that's another red flag for you. And then last but not least, is it distracting? Does it take away from finding or treating the root cause? Does it neglect proper care, time, effort, or fiscal responsibility? Um, and nine times out of 10, if you see a diet, a health claim, a treatment plan, or even a spiritual practice that is meeting these three Ds of what we call quackery, um, it's probably not based on the truth and you should look into it a little bit more. So I'm hoping that each and every one of you will look at these types of ideas, look at these health claims, and just have a little bit more of a, I don't know if I just wanna say a cautious approach. You know, we don't wanna realize or take everything, I guess, at face value at first. It's good to be just a little bit concerned. Um, then even going back to Jeremiah, he continues, what does he say here? Oh, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. Okay, we could kind of apply this to a lot of us. I'm sitting here talking about like, hey, I have zero theology experience and zero philosophy experience, but honest to goodness, that's not all that it takes. A lot of what it takes is that understanding of what God wants from you, listening to him and putting that into action. Um, so the same thing does go here. You know, we have to investigate that truth so that way we can help out with, um, you know, the divine intervention that God has laying before us. Um, and we have to keep in mind that, you know, the truth is a little bit challenging. It's kind of like good art in a way where it can make us uncomfortable sometimes. Um, so you might have to have a little bit of difficult discussions with people if they are advocating for these things, but that's good. Um, that's really, really good actually, if you're willing to do that. So last but not least then in this chapter here, Jesus, or sorry, God tells Jeremiah, do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. So really anybody applies here, okay? Friend, foe, child, total stranger, whoever. Um, we all have to work to imitate Christ, to evangelize and bring others to that fullness of love. Uh, we have to advocate for the truth in a way that we live. And as I mentioned before, that doesn't mean just yelling at people and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, I'm doing it right. It means getting to know them personally, again, building that relationship and being compassionate to them. Um, so resist that temptation, you know, when we are making conscious efforts to grow deeper in our faith, to eat better, to exercise more, or even be, you know, more financially responsible, um, you know, these aren't luxuries. These aren't things that we can just pick and choose what we want to do. We have to think about all of them together. Um, another one I love is uh, St. Ambrose. He writes that you are one of God's people, of God's family, you light up your grace of body with your splendor of soul. Um, and I, I always love that phrase. He's really, he's talking about perpetual virginity when he writes about that. But there's a beauty to it as well in the way that we take care of our bodies, understanding the dignity that each of us has and the perfect selfless love that we are made to give to others. Um, so with that being said, you know, <laughs> we're really made for both. Uh, we can't ignore one or the other. And in order to be truly, truly healthy, we have to nurture every single gift that God gives us. Um, and in doing so, you know, we'll be able to be better disciples. Uh, so with that being said, I know I have some questions and such for you guys to think about. So if you look 
on your phones, I think is how this works, right? You guys like are super tech savvy apparently. No? Okay. So <laughs> if you look on your phones, go to the information you were sent after logging in or checking in and you should have five questions. Um, I believe we're gonna do a small group discussion, right? So if you wanna explain that, um, let's pray one more time and then Emma will tell us what's going on here. So in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Therese, little flower, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hi. How's it so going? So I had a question um, about the coconut oil, actually. Yes. So I thought that coconuts, since they're plants, they don't have cholesterol. So how is it that the person had high cholesterol while she was right, right. taking coconut oil? Yeah, that's a super good question, actually. So I might have briefly alluded to it about the whole like saturated fat versus unsaturated fat situation. Um, coconut oil, again, as you mentioned, it's a fat from a plant. So again, it falls into that category of like the canola, the vegetable, the olive oils, which are usually really good for you. Um, and you're right, there's not actually cholesterol within it but the saturated fat itself does increase your body's metabolism of that so it will produce more on its own um it's one of those things uh, i don't know if you guys have ever watched like i think it's i think it's college humor does a skit about dietitians from the future and it's all about eggs i see a head nod there but it's the situation where they're like hey don't eat eggs they have cholesterol and then it's like oh well you can eat one eggs it's, it's kind of okay and then they say oh you can eat all the eggs you want because it's an excellent source of protein um, and then after that, they're like, oh, it turns out cholesterol, like from your diet, doesn't actually affect the cholesterol in your bloodstream. It's everything else. Um, so with that being said, you know, it's one of those things that, again, there's no cholesterol in the food itself, but because it is primarily, it's like, I'm trying to think the percentage, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but it's almost entirely saturated fat. And again, that just means that it's solid at room temperature. So imagine something solid like coconut oil, butter, lard, shortening, Imagine that trying to go through your bloodstream. Not super easy, right? But then think about something like that olive oil, vegetable oil, or canola oil. Those would go through a lot better. Um, so just in general, if you're going to use coconut oil for anything, um, I have to admit it's awesome for baking. Like if you're gonna use fat in like brownies or something, like awesome. But just don't do it all the time, right? Um, Sean made a really, really good point to me about, you know, there's no one perfect diet out there, right? Other than a balanced diet. So of course, if you like these kinds of things, it's not that you can never have them, just use them appropriately. Does that kind of answer your question? Okay, awesome, thank you. All right, who else? <laughs> Hi, um, <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering, like intermittent fasting is very popular and in the church we're taught that fasting is good for our souls. True. Will you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Your thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely, thank you. So the question again, just being about intermittent fasting, um, we do know that yes, in the church, fasting is awesome. Doing a little bit of a physical denial to yourself can benefit the soul as well. Um, but when it comes down to our physical body, when it comes down to our nutrition as a whole, again, I think intermittent fasting has fallen a little bit more on one of those ends of the extreme. Um, it's something that we often think, okay, if I detox or if I avoid food for a certain period of time, then my body isn't having to filter anything out other than the food already in there, um, which really just isn't the case. That's not really how our body works. So with intermittent fasting, um, and I, just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Are you interested in it when it comes down to like 
exercise or are you interested when it comes down to like weight loss or just in general? Okay, <laughs> so in general, um, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. You know, if you don't eat food for let's say 18 hours, your liver is gonna start doing what your liver does and it's gonna start breaking down fat in your body and creating sugar and feeding itself. Um, so again, if you wanted to do that for weight loss, awesome. But the problem is you've just created a little bit of a starvation mode in your body. So the next time you eat something, your body's gonna hold onto it because it doesn't know when it's getting food again. So instead of utilizing those macronutrients efficiently, it's gonna store all of them. It's gonna turn it immediately into fat or convert it into the sugars that it needs right then and there rather than use it efficiently. Um, so in the long run, not a huge fan. Again, that kind of like balanced eating, you know, eating frequent small snacks. Like it's just, it's just generally more fruitful and a lot easier to follow in the long run. Kind of on that train of thought, but like yeah. actual fasting, maybe like during Lent, if you're like, yeah. oh, I, I want to try and fast on Fridays. What's a good healthy way to do that and not like damage yourself? Yeah. If you, I feel like I, I've, I've thought about doing it before and some people are like, oh man, you can really mess up and like, screw you up. So what's yeah. a good way to go about doing that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, again, you can just go back to what I was mentioning before about nothing is, is like a whole blanket statement for anybody. Everybody's individualistic. Everybody's body reacts differently to having food or not. Um, for the majority of this, it comes down to just starting off small. Um, when we often hear about fasting, especially when we're reading stuff about like the saints during Lent, and they're like, yeah, I didn't eat for a week and it was great. And then I had this like levitating experience and stuff. Like, don't do the unrealistic stuff. As you guys saw the last question in those prompts talking about making a smart goal, you need to do something that's realistic. So if you want to do something that's fasting, think about, you know, again, let's go to food here. Let's think about what food you genuinely enjoy the most. Um, I think that's always a good spot to start because we tend to not eat it that often. Um, so I could even go like, I'm a huge whiskey guy, okay? When I lived in Kentucky, I had a cat and his name was Whiskey, um, and he was adorable. But with that, I just say, all right, I'm just not going to drink that, say, this week. Maybe if I was drinking it like twice a week, I'll cut it down to one time a week. And then after that, maybe down to no times a week. Same thing goes. If you're eating four or five meals a day, cut back one meal. Do something simple and small first off and then see how you react to it and keep going as you feel necessary. Um, and keep in mind too, when it comes down to Lent, of course, it's not about just fasting itself. Um, if we do that, you know, we get in that classic situation we hear about in the Gospels where it's like, oh, well, like this dude doesn't shave and he like doesn't eat anything and he looks all disheveled. So we know that he's fasting. It's not really the point. Like you don't want to be feeling terrible because you do still need to be able to care for yourself and care for others. Um, so I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea. But really, again, start small. Pick a smart goal, as I mentioned on there. Um, and kind of just work up to it. See what really works for you. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can share some about your thoughts about probiotics and kombucha. Oh, that's a good um, one. Yeah. I've been on either ends of the spectrum as an yeah. advocate or a. Uh, so I'm curious to know what you think. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So does anybody here, well, does everybody know what kombucha is? Does that ring a bell? So if you don't, it's like bacteria tea um, and it's delicious. So that's a thing. But <laughs> really the idea with probiotics is that they're good bacteria, you know? When I was talking about your enterocytes in your body and having natural mucus and these spaces in between all the cells, you also have bacteria. It's called your gut flora. And it goes all the way throughout your small intestine and especially in your large intestine. Um, and it's just funny to think, you know, we have these bacteria in our body 
And honest to goodness, whenever we go number two, we're getting rid of a lot of them. You know, they have a really quick, um, what do I want to call it? a really short lifespan, I guess is all. So we have fresh ones being produced inside of our bodies all the time. And it really is a part of your body's defense mechanism to keep itself healthy. Um, but when it comes down to probiotics, those are live bacteria strains that are produced elsewhere. And then we would take in something like a supplement form, or we could even find in kombucha, yogurt, um, kefir, other options that are often fermented. Um, the other option out there is pre biotics, which are actually just the food for that bacteria. So fiber is a really, really good food for those types of bacteria, which is why it's so important to eat things like fruits and veggies and whole grains. Um, but when it comes down to being a promoter or someone who's going to judge and resist things like prebiotics and probiotic supplements, um, I'm always on the side of just eat your food. You know, if you're going to look for more probiotics in your diet, do it with your food. So eat more yogurt, drink a little bit of kombucha, eat more kefir, things like that. Um, when we start taking supplements, we often run into that period or that just common problem of not really knowing what's in it. You'll read the bottle and it'll say, you've got a billion strains of whatever bacteria in here. Um, and it's honestly just way more than your body ever needs. Um, so it really, in a way, can kind of mess up your natural gut flora and that natural balance that allows you to function so well. Um, so to kind of answer your question, no, I wouldn't really say that anyone needs supplements like that. Um, but at the same time, you need to look for that in your diet anyway. So eating things like pre and probiotics. Um, does that kind of answer your question? That's good. Thumbs up. I'll take that. <laughs> All right. What else? What else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of on a similar topic, uh, antioxidants. Um, what do you think about those? in general like it's a nice yeah, word like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like, i mean antibi or sorry antioxidants um you get them from everything especially citrus or um, acid containing foods like you know you've got oranges blueberries all sorts of different kinds of fruit um and really the nice thing is that they kind of help prevent cancer cell growth um so what we are saying is really it's an antioxidant so in your body there are chemicals that can actually oxidize um, and cause you some problems. They can cause you a little bit of problems with your cell's DNA and RNA um, and often lead to things like cancer. Um, the majority of us are gonna get enough of them in our diet no matter what though. Again, if we're trying to eat fruits and veggies every day, if we're eating a good balance of things like whole grains, good lean protein and healthy fats, again, I don't think any of us have to worry about missing out on any of these nutrients. Um, now there's some beliefs, honestly, that if you consume a higher than normal quantity of certain foods like antioxidants, that'll have a better benefit for you. Um, but keep in mind, antioxidants, they're really, they're vitamins. So things like vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin E, um, they all help you resist any type of uh, illness as well. So they're good for your immune system. But again, being micronutrients, they're all easily removed by your body. You guys remember that whole liver thing? Um, well, you also have kidneys, which are like your backup plan for your liver. So if you're ever gonna take something like a really, really high dose vitamin C, or if you're gonna take some massive like multivitamin that, I don't know, it's like a horse pill or something like that, keep in mind your body's gonna filter out the stuff that you don't need. So you'll notice, and this is always glamorous, but when you take a lot of supplements, you'll notice that your urine is a little bit more colorful. It's a little bit more neon or a little bit more green or yellow because you're just getting rid of all of those extra vitamins and minerals. Um, so yeah, seriously, balanced diet. Don't worry about that supplement stuff. Cool. 
Thank you so much, Sam. It was such yeah. a blessing no to have you yeah. here with us tonight. Yeah. <laughs>